Um, right, well, uh, it wasn't that long ago that uh, Matt, Matt Hatch was standing here on this very stage uh, at the start of the year uh, as he was talking about God's, uh, God's people and God's purposes. And uh, in some ways, I want just to return to that just at the start of today and just remind us like what, uh, what we learned about that. When we see the story of the Bible from the beginning to the end, we see that what God is doing is he is gathering himself a people. Not just any people, he's gathering himself a, a holy people. And we see that uh, going throughout the Bible from the beginning to the end, God is gathering himself a holy, uh, a holy people. And the way that he does that, the way he goes about that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that, that gives us the, the thread, how God does that. And of course, Jesus is right at the center of God's plan for how he gathers himself a people. A people, a bride, a body, different ways that God's people are referred to. Um, so let's keep that in mind as we read the scriptures today. Um, and I want to, want to really encourage you, those of you who are really at wanting to find yourself walking more consistently in the purposes of God, really listen carefully this morning and try and get what you can from the verses that we look at, because there's a lot in there. Um, I've not quite managed to package it up neatly into three courses for you. Uh, I'd like you to see it more as a buffet this morning, uh, whereas I'm, I'm putting, <laughs> bringing out everything I can uh, that I can see in these verses for you, and I'd just like you to take the things which you need for where you're at this morning. So if you just imagine you've got a plate in your hand, and as you hear something in these verses, you think, I need that this morning. This is where I'm at. Take it. Take it. And uh, we'll, see what, uh, we'll see what the Lord does this morning. Uh, right, so we have been looking at uh, the story of Elijah in the book of Kings. And uh, if I could just get the first, uh, the first slide on there, um, or the second one. Um, the print's a bit small for you to work out there, but uh, this gives us the background. Of course, we all know David, don't we? King David, as in David and Goliath. Uh, after David, there came Solomon. And after Solomon, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah split in two. And so we ended up with two lines of kings. Uh, The kings of Judah going down the left-hand side, which also forms the uh, genealogy of Jesus down the left-hand side. And over to the right-hand side, you've got the the kings of Israel. Now, there's five yellow arrows there. That points to the good ones, okay? Five of them were good. And the rest of them did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And that's basically the story of the whole book of Kings. One Kings and two Kings, we see it's a a story of king after king, mostly who did evil. How did they do evil? Well, they encouraged the worship of other gods, namely Baal. Um, And in doing so, they took the people of Israel away from the covenant that God had made with Moses. You shall have no other gods before me. She will not make yourself an image of any sort. Um, And that was just for starters. So uh, what we find that these kings led the people of Israel astray. And and, uh, they had basically forsaken the covenant that God had made with them. Now the story we're looking at today, we're looking at... uh, uh, the, where we're up to at the moment is Asa. He's the top yellow arrow. Uh, he's king of Judah at this time. He doesn't really feature in today's story. But on the right-hand side, Ahab, 
Uh, you might just be able to make him out there. Uh, he does feature uh, in this story. Ahab is king of Israel. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He is married to uh, Queen Jezebel, an evil, manipulative queen. Again, whose mission it is to take people away from the true God and make them worship Baal. Um, uh, Elijah is a holy man of God. He is a prophet that God has used very powerfully. We've seen on the um, on Mount Carmel how he called down the fire of God. Uh, he defeated and overcame the prophets of Baal and put, put them to shame. Uh, his, uh, where we're joining with the story, uh, he's also prayed and it's ended the period of drought in Israel. Um, and he has then outrun, he's, he's gone on a journey, if you go on to the next slide... Uh, so we were on Mount uh, Carmel in the top left, and he's he's uh, he's just outrun the chariot of Ahab, and he's got himself to Israel. So that's 46 kilometres or 51, depending on which route you take. Um, so it's been a, it's been a very full on. This is what I'm saying. It's been a very full on few days for Elijah. Okay. Um, however, whilst he's got this kind of, it almost seems like he's a bit of a superhuman, this Elijah. What we'll see today is also actually very human. And he's got a lot of weaknesses that we might find in ourselves as well. And so as we, as we read this, I think uh, God's going to encourage us. And we're going to learn how God deals with people who really want to follow his purposes. So let's get on with uh, the scriptures today. If you want to get your Bibles out, looking at 1 Kings 19. And uh, we're... There's quite a lot of scripture today. I'm going to divide up into, th- into three chunks uh, so we can deal with each one at a time. Okay? So I'll, I'll start from verse 1. So Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them, by this time tomorrow, she's threatened to take his life. Then he, that's Elijah, was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, to take, my life, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. So what strikes us is how quickly Elijah's gone from being at the heights of this Mount Karma with this great triumph right down to the valley bottom where it's it's almost like he's a different person. Uh, He's now, um, he's afraid. He's afraid of Jezebel. He's running for his life. He's he's wanting to die. He's he's. It's, it's unbelievable how quickly you would, have, you would have thought after all that he would be at least mildly encouraged, wouldn't you? 
However, but when we look at some of the things which happened here, which are quite subtle, we'll see we might recognise some things in ourselves. Um, he makes some mistakes. Um, the first thing he does, you'll notice, when Jezebel threatens him, is that he, uh, he takes his eyes off God. At no point there does he actually look to God. He takes his eyes off him. Um, that's his first mistake, to take his eyes off God. And we sometimes do that, don't we? When we hit a crisis, difficult times come, what can I do, what can I do? I know, run. Or seek comfort somewhere else. We take our eyes off God. We're guilty of that as well. What else does he do? He leaves his servant behind him. He isolates himself. And it's often the case where we, we find ourselves in difficult times. There is a bit of a temptation sometimes to isolate ourselves and keep ourselves away from our brothers and sisters in Christ whom we need. Bad move. Third mistake. He allows himself to become physically exhausted. And when we get into a place of being absolutely physically exhausted, that can also lead to spiritual exhaustion as well. And that's where he finds himself. He's got absolutely nothing left to give. And last of all, he prays. Now, why, why do we always leave it till the last thing to, to pray? We, we do that, don't we? We try everything else and find, oh, I know, I'll pray. Now, it wasn't a great prayer, um, but it was a prayer at least. And the Lord knows how to answer prayer. Fortunately, this one, he didn't answer. Uh, he asked the Lord to take away his life, and the Lord never answered that prayer. It's interesting. Um, but, uh, but there we go. So, what does, uh, what does God do? Well, we see God's compassion. And God's compassion is very practical to start with. He sends an angel, uh, and the angel bakes for him this divine energy bar and provides him with the drink that he needs and gets him to rest and to sleep. Not once, but twice. So when we find ourselves in those, those kind of deep down places, we need to think very, very practically. God cares for you. He cares for all of you, all of your, your body. Um, there's nothing super spiritual about keeping going and going and going until you collapse. God actually wants you to be recovered and restored physically and emotionally before you can walk on into the purposes that he's got for you. So, you, so he, he wants us to look after ourselves as well as looking out for his purposes. So... The next part of the journey is to Horeb. I think that should be on the uh, the next slide. Okay. Now Horeb is known as the Mount of God. Now Horeb is is also thought to be the location of Mount Sinai, Sinai, where where Moses met with God, where God gave the the covenant, the Ten Commandments, uh, to Moses. Um, and as you can see, this is. 608 kilometers. It takes him 40 days and 40 nights to get there. Um, and God wants him, wants him to get there and he's got something lined up for him, which he needs. Right, now let's read on. Um, so there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, 
For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am left. Even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And and behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So, So this is good. He's got to a place of refuge, a place where he can meet with God. This is a good thing and um, and it's, it's, it's good for us too sometimes to actually take to go out of our way to be with God, to go out of our routine, to go out of our normal places to go and be with God. And um, speaking like for myself and for Rach personally, we've tried to make a practice of that at least a couple of times a year uh, where we found a place where we can go and stay and have some retreat time, time alone with God. And I know like when you're in the thick of it with kids or life is hard, full of pressures, um, it's been so, so important for our survival to actually find that space where we can go and meet with God. Um, so I would, I would encourage you to do that. If you want to talk to us more about where you can go, come and, come and see us afterwards. But what we found, God honours that. When you go out of your way to meet with God, he meets you there. And this is what happens with Elijah as well. And God comes and speaks to him and he says... What are you doing here, Elijah? Okay. Now this is an interesting question. Um, now, when you look at when you look at the answer that uh, Elijah gave, I want you to think: Is Elijah giving the answer that God was hoping for? Okay. Just think about that while I get my glass of water. What do we think? <clears throat> do, we th- do we think that Elijah was giving God the answer which he was hoping for? This is speculation. I'm speculating. What do you think? Yes or no? Hands up for yes. Hands up for no. Oh, good. Right. So, okay. So I wonder then, what was the answer that, that God was hoping for to what are you doing here, Elijah? Um. Well, we'll see what happens next. It seems like God has ignored uh, Elijah's answer, but look what happens straight after. God shows up. God shows up. His presence comes. He comes audibly, visibly. And he hears the voice of God. What do you think God was really hoping that Elijah would say? What are you doing here, Elijah? When I, when I was... Uh, like praying over these verses, it kind of it just hit me that I thought I think God was saying, God was hoping that Elijah would say, "I've come here to meet with you." It's come forty miles, uh, forty days, forty nights. I've come here to meet with you. And um, 
So after Elijah's answer, I think God decides, well, I'm going to meet with you. God knows how to answer our, our prayers, doesn't he? He knows how to address us. Um, so, uh, as we look at the, um, at the verses, it, it looks like, it, it, the, like the earthquake and the wind and the fire, they were mighty, awesome things. But it's almost like they were secondary. They're almost secondary things, aren't they, to what Elijah really needed, which was the voice of God. The person, the person of God. It wasn't that he, he needed these things, although I think they had a, an important role to play. And it shows us something very important. Um, it was the person which he needed. And maybe, maybe for some of us here today, God is waiting for you to say, God, I want to meet with you again. I've been busy. I want to meet with you. And... You know, Elijah's in this in this cave, and he's full of uh, self-pity, uh, de- dejection. And he's saying to him, he's saying, "Come out, come out." So God wants to speak to him, but He doesn't want to speak to him in that place of self-pity. He wants to bring him out. He's saying, "Come out of that place of self-pity. Come out of that place of dejection, and I'll speak to you. Come out." So you've got to want to come out. And the thing is, Jesus wants us to finish well. He doesn't want us to finish life in a cave. He doesn't want us to finish life under a broom tree, whatever that looks like. I have strange images in my mind when I think of a broom tree. He doesn't want us to finish there. The important thing about the Christian life is not how you start, but it's, it's how you finish. And I think one of the things which we noted, that the, the longer I... I walk with the Lord, the more I'm aware that you know, Satan has strategies to take people who are passionate for God and to pour water on the fire. And sometimes discouragement, distraction, uh, unbelief, uh, stress, life circumstances can all serve to, to cool down people's, people's faith, to take people away from, take people's eyes off the Lord. Satan wants believers to be ineffective and unfruitful in their walk with God. That's that's his strategy. That's his strategy. And um, the writer of Hebrews talks to believers, and this is in the New Testament, it talks to believers who are in this situation, people who have faced persecution and hardships, and he says to them, oh, by that, that was a cave, by the way. Um, Go on to the next. Um, okay. So this is addressed to people who are in that situation in the New Testament. It says this. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Could we read that last verse together? That, but we are not, okay? But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. 
And what's amazing is how quickly God is able to take somebody who's gone off the rails, who is down low in the pit, and bring them back on track. And this is what we see here with Elijah. He's able to do this and to do it quickly and effectively. So Elijah hears the whisper, hears the low voice, and he comes out. And it's interesting, it doesn't actually tell us, we can go back to the, uh, the, 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 the previous text, it doesn't actually tell us what God said to him in the whisper. I think we can take that to mean it's something that's private between the Lord and Elijah. But what we, what we do see from that is that he needed to encounter the person of God before he could return to the purposes of God. He needed him. He needed him. Perhaps, perhaps you're a great doer of things for the Lord. Perhaps you, 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 you're wonderfully servant-hearted and you, you're good at doing stuff for the Lord. And that, that's a, a wonderful thing. Um, but I think in these verses, God's reminding, reminding us that as well as having a, a to-do list of things which need doing for his purposes, you also need to have a to-be list as well. Sorry if that sounds a bit gone. But he wants to be with us. As well as being busy about his business, we need, our, our primary need is to be with him. And then we can engage with his purposes. Would you agree? Yeah. Yes, good. Um, so, our to-be list. What does it show us about God? It shows us God is almighty. He's powerful. We see how his... His presence almost destroys this mountain. There's rocks flying everywhere. There's this amazing, powerful wind. And wisely, Elijah stays in the cave cave until that's passed by. And then he comes out. Um, It's right to have the fear of God, isn't it? It's right to have the fear of God. He is mighty. He is powerful. He, we We could not stand. If we saw him in his... How he really is today, we would melt onto the floor. He is almighty. Um, But Elijah needed to see this. He was struggling with the fear of man. Or the fear of woman. Which may be worse, I don't know which. Um, But but somehow the fear of God uh, is very good at kicking out the fear of man. Um, And maybe some some of us here today need that as well. If you, are you struggling with anxiety or fear? Are you fearful in a situation? Well, it's God that we need to fear. It's not man. It's God that we can fear. But this the, the also shows us the tenderness of God, the whisper. You can't get anything more intimate than a whisper, can you? A talking voice like this isn't that intimate, is it? But a whisper, that's intimate. And so we see in, in the character of God to this almighty power, an infinite power, but also this intimate God who meets with us in the most close way and speaks to us. And it's impossible for us to get our mind around how amazing God is. He can be so infinite and so intimate at the same time. But this is the God we serve, is it not? It is. And it's a beautiful balance that we see in him. And perhaps like Elijah, perhaps you need to hear his voice today. Let's get on to our last little chunk of this story. (coughs) 
And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of, of Shaphat, uh, of, I should have practiced these, Abel Meholah, uh, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And so he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. <clears throat> so the question... And the answer are the same, aren't they? What are you doing here? But I think you, we can imagine that the atmosphere has slightly shifted. Okay? It's a different situation. And Elijah's posture, he's not in the cave, he's standing out. And he's ready. Um, now, you might have been hoping that I would stop at verse 16. Or 15, because once we get to verse 16 and 17, we start getting onto things which don't quite sometimes match with the idea of God that sometimes we have. I think sometimes we often fall into the view that God is a God of love and nothing else. And so when we read verses about the sword and people being put to death as being part of um, uh, part of the will of God in this story, we think, well, there must be a mistake here somewhere. Uh, and I, wanna, I want to help us with this this morning. We don't need to be shy or, or apologetic about verses 17 and 18 here. Um, and uh, I hope this really helps. So the only way that God is connected with his people is by, the way he's chosen to do it is by covenants. Covenants. And a covenant is a set of promises which is made um, with conditions, certain conditions attached and blessings which will follow if those conditions are met and curses which will follow if those conditions are, are not met. And God bound himself to the people of Israel by covenant. He gave them the Ten Commandments and said, and it goes like this, if you do these things... If you meet these standards for righteousness, then I will bless you, you will be my people, I will be your God. But if you turn away from them, you will be cut off from the people and you will be separated from my, uh, from my purposes. And there will be curses instead of blessings. And so what we see here, as we see the talk of the sword and the talk of uh, people being put to death... God has not changed his character. What we see, God is actually being faithful to his word. He's being faithful to a covenant which the people of Israel have broken. They've forsaken it. It's not like they've made a mistake. They've actually turned right away from God and gone in the opposite direction. And so when God is bringing judgment upon them, it's not that God is cruel. It's God is faithful. 
and that he is faithful to his word and what he says he will do, he will do. So God is a God of love, but he's also a God of faithfulness and justice as well. There's no contradiction in that. So we need to have this this full and healthy view of who God is in terms of how he's revealed himself. Um, So now when we understand that and we look at these verses, we can see how God is answering very directly what Elijah says uh, in his answer. We see him... uh, we see that God is saying, okay, yep, they have forsaken my covenant. So now judgment is coming, all right? And you have a role to play in that. Um, uh, yeah, Elijah, I see you feel that you're on your own, all right? So to sort that out, I'm going to give you Elisha. He's going to be with you and he's going to take over your mantle. You think you're the only one left? Well, there's actually 7,000 others. You've got things slide out of perspective when you were depressed. So God knows how to deal with us. He knows how to deal with us who are struggling, uh, who want to serve him, who want to serve his purposes, but we're stuck in a bit of a rut. We're having a bit of a difficult time. He understands us. He knows how to overcome our weaknesses. He's able to give you the right word that you need to hear to get you out of that situation. He's mighty. He's to be feared. Um, But he's also intimate and he's personal. Uh, I'll just talk for two minutes about my little season that I'm coming through and what I, I feel I've been living some of these verses over the past two or three months. Is that I, I've been like struggling, thinking, God, I want to be involved in your purposes. I want to serve you, God. I want to, I want to be involved in people's lives and I feel like I'm not involved in people's lives. You know, I'm busy at school and I don't have many friendships with non-Christians outside, uh, outside work and it, you know, I want to be... I want to be involved. I was praying about this. God, help me. And I felt him say, pray for half an hour each evening. And this is towards the end of the Christmas holidays. And so I did that. That God would um, get me involved in the brokenness around. And that's what my heart started to stir. I felt God wanted me to get more involved in the brokenness of of Beeston and South Leeds. And I just prayed half an hour every day for uh, for that period. And it was amazing that after that, these connections started to happen. There were two or three things came to me where I was able to actually start to um, serve God in, in those ways by uh, taking him into places of brokenness. And some of them are still a work in progress, but I, I really saw the hand of God. And so if you feel like you want to be more involved in the, in the, in the purposes of God, get praying. And God will open some doors. Because this is what we want to do. We want to get our hands dirty. We want to be involved. We want to see lives change, don't we? We want to see communities change. And there's nothing better than knowing that you are being used by, by God. Whether that's within your family even, or within your workplace, or your neighborhood, your street, or, uh, or, or out on the street. Uh, we want to be at work, don't we? We want to serve him, because it's the most joyful thing. So anyway... God hasn't changed. He's still, his purposes remain. And you see that through the story, he is gathering his people, a holy people. And that's, how he's, that's what he's doing today. In South Leeds, in Beeston, he's gathering a people, a holy people. What has changed is his covenant. Okay? We are not under the old covenant, we are under the new covenant today. 
And the new covenant tells us that Jesus has met the standards for righteousness. Jesus has met the standards for righteousness. And only in, only in him do we find the ransom has been paid for our lives. The price and punishment for sin has been paid. Only in him do we find forgiveness. In him do we find life. And to enter into that life, the Bible tells us that we need to repent. And we need to believe in Jesus and be baptized into him and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then when we're, we're in him and the Holy Spirit is living in us, we become that holy people that God continues to gather to himself. And we see our own lives changed. And we see the lives around us changed. This is the big picture we, we want to see happening. Amen? In our lives. So, let's seek both the person and the purposes of God in our lives. Okay? Now then, I don't know what you've got on your plate. Okay? Remember your buffet plates you had at the start of the, uh, uh, the talk. Um, if you have anything on your plate at all from these verses that we've been reading about, I'd just like to invite you to stand up and I'd just like, you to, like to, to pray for you. If nobody stands up, I can take that. But if anybody has anything on the plate from what we've been reading about, I'd just like you to stand up and just hold your hands out. And if you're looking around, why don't, you, why don't you just point a hand at somebody who's standing up and pray for them. And I'll pray. Father, I thank you uh, that you meet us where we're at. And I thank you, Father, for each and every situation that we face where it's your purposes which are at stake. It's your person that, uh, that we need. Thank you, Lord, in all these situations, you meet us. And I pray, Father, for each of these people standing up that you would meet that need right now in Jesus' name by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would come. Just as you met every need Elijah had to encounter you and your purposes, I pray for each of these that they would be um, fulfilled. And all God's people said, Amen. And if we could all stand, I'd just like us to, to pray together the Lord's Prayer. It's on the last slide. It should be, yeah. Let's just pray this together as one, shall we? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.